Hey, Crime Writers on fans, just want to let you know, in case maybe you haven't heard, the uh, Court of Special Appeals in Maryland has affirmed Adnan's appeal and uh, affirmed that he is entitled to a new trial. So a long time coming. Uh, So we've got a lot of news in that area to talk about. But unfortunately, we won't get to that until the next episode because we recorded today's podcast before the decision came out on Thursday afternoon. So stick around, okay, and uh, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss next week. We are bound to have some special guests to break down everything that this 138-page decision does. Okay, back to our regularly scheduled podcast. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. At first, it sounds like the answer to a parent's prayers, an exclusive boarding school in the Oregon mountains where troubled kids turn their lives around unless they turn up dead or disappear. Are the academy's questionable treatments to blame or is an even more evil and brutal force at play? One without limits, one without remorse, one without mercy. From the number one New York Times bestselling author Lisa Jackson, Without Mercy is a pulse-pounding thriller that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Because when it comes to suspense, Lisa Jackson kills it every time. Without Mercy is on sale now everywhere books are sold. For more info, visit lisajackson.com. The future is coming. Make it brighter with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a unique website. Showcase your work, blog, or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks. You can customize everything from look and feel to settings and products using beautiful templates created by world-class designers, and there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Head to Squarespace for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use offer code CWO to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism. And this week, the Netflix docuseries about that time those cult members took over an Oregon town and resorted to violence to keep the community built on love. We'll talk about wild, wild country. Also, it's time to find out who is the winner of the podcast madness tournament hmm i don't know Mm. we don't know so joining me to dive into all that and a whole lot more is my true crime co-author real life husband kevin flynn good evening kevin it's been an ordinary week absolutely (laughs) completely ordinary nothing has happened (laughs) just like every other week act one it's been an ordinary week week. (laughs) also with us is journalist true crime author humble pie licensed private investigator former defense investigator and professional muskrat hunter Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. <laughs> Hello. Yes, I have the muskrat in our local river under surveillance. I'm getting his uh, routine down. Saw him again today, so I know what he's You're up casing to. Casing the uh, muskrat. No, just quickly, Lara. Uh, you posted something on social media that everyone saw, where it was like mystery animal in this New Hampshire <laughs> river, and then like a bunch of people were like, "Yeah, that's just a muskrat. That's not a mystery. It's animal. not messy." <laughs> Well, at first I thought it might have been a beaver because I couldn't get close enough to see and it looked like it had like a big tail. So I was following it up and down the river trying to figure out what it was. And then I ran into one of uh, like the old townie guys who's like, you know, mid 80s. And he set me straight. Yeah. Um, 
But he said there are some beavers out there. He told me a story of a beaver jumping in somebody's uh, smelt ice fishing shack one time. Oh, yeah. Put a whole bunch in a blender. Oh, no. And they poured into the water supply. Are we jumping ahead? No. No, there was none of that. No, he said they thought this guy had been drinking a lot and making this up, but then uh, the same beaver came in his sh- his shack. So no, no, there are tons true. of beavers. I go on a walk every morning on a woodsy trail with my dogs. And there's a tree that's been decimated by beavers. There are beavers. There are also river otters, and there are also yes. muskrats, which look like beavers, except they have weird wiry tails. It's like a thing. Yeah, that's what this was. I've got him under surveillance. I know where he lives. I know when he comes out now. <laughs> Who's the guy who hosts all those BBC like nature shows? Laura is that guy. Right. David Attenborough. David Attenborough, yes. <laughs> yeah. Also with us is the acclaimed novelist behind the City Trilogy and our very favorite super skeptic, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Namaste. <laughs> <laughs> He's feeling the peace and love. Peace yeah. and love. Free love. That's right. Free love. Well, just one quick piece of podcast business. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the uh, brand newly released, all the episodes came out today, the day of this taping, I believe, the new podcast from Panoply, Empire on Blood. It's already one of the top podcasts in America. But also on our radar in the upcoming weeks is the limited TV series Trust about the Getty family and that weird kidnapping. Uh, We have the second season of Handmaid's Tale. Um, There's so many things coming out. So stuff that you see that you want us to talk about, chances are... We're planning to talk about yeah. <laughs> it. So we got you covered here at Crime Writers. And speaking of we've got you covered, let's talk for a second about how our listeners have us covered. Uh, Kevin, should I drop that sound effect in right here? Let's do it. We have a big announcement to make. In case anyone who's listening to this podcast has not heard, our little podcast... Made in a basement in New Hampshire, beat out This American Life, the greatest radio show in the history of the world, and we are the winners of the initial (laughs) inaugural (laughs) Podcast Madness Tournament put on by Discover Pods. We won the whole damn thing. I can't believe it. We just wanted to get out of the first round. Yeah, I know. So, like, let's just, like, uh, survey our fellow podcasters. Toby, thoughts? Uh, I think it's just uh, we got to up our game. <laughs> you know, if you're not if you're not moving forward, you're falling behind or something. Anyway, <laughs> it was fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's cool. It's cool having like so many people like engaged, and uh, we've got a really you know good listenership who like to discuss things on Twitter and on the Facebook fan site and all that stuff. So that's. You know, it's it's great. It, it feels good. Toby just seems very underwhelmed after we've been crowned like the best podcast Wasn't in the it? world. Like, Laura, you got to act like you've been there. That's right. <laughs> Laura, what do you think? Can I please have your thoughts, Laura Bricker? I think it's pretty damn exciting because today I was out walking around town in my new fancy walking shoes. And one of our listeners, who's a friend of mine, she's like a devoted listener, like stopped me to be like, hey, congratulations. She was very excited. So I'm getting some notoriety um, around our little town of Exeter yeah. for this big win, which yeah. is very exciting. Yeah, I bet bumped into a, a guy at the State House who said the same thing to me. I really? For, yeah. You were at the State House for work today? Uh, this was actually last week while it was still, while it was still madness. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what I have learned, Um, because our listeners, especially the ones who tweet to us now, we know that like our Twitter followers 
they're the most probably devoted and engaged listeners and also the people who are in our Crime Writers on yeah, Facebook no discussion group. No doubt. If you're a member of our regular Crime Writers on Facebook page, that's awesome. But if you go to the Facebook discussion group and like become a member there, like you will meet your people. They are super engaged and interested. And here's the theme that I heard when I was sort of, we were sort of expressing this whole thing about how it's all about our listeners and they're great. I heard this over and over again, which is, I subscribe to a lot of podcasts and I agree that This American Life is maybe a better show and that Criminal is a better show and all these shows are better shows. But your show, Crime Writers On, is the one I have to listen to the minute it drops. I listen to it the day that it drops. I can't wait to listen to it. It's my appointment listening podcast. And you and people like, like a thousand people tweeted to us that they voted for us for that reason, because they don't disagree that we're not the best, but we are for some reason like the must listen show. And I just think that's just, I mean, it's exactly what we're trying to do. Right, Kevin? Yeah. I'm, you know, still kind of amazed by it all. It really isn't us. It's, it is the listeners. You guys were the ones that pushed us along. And I kind of feel bad for Kevin at Discover Pods because we well, totally I wrote to him. we totally swamped his experiment. No, by... I wrote to him and yeah. I said, um, <laughs> "Do you feel like we hijacked your little contest?" <laughs> and he wrote back and he said, "No, there were more than ten thousand votes, and you guys actually won this thing. Like you won it. Wow! And like the fact wow. that you engaged your listeners, like that's part of it. Like you won it. Wow. Like it's not bad. Like he doesn't feel like we hijacked it at all. I feel like we probably shouldn't." Run next year. Yeah, we, we should, should we should retire on top. <laughs> yeah. Not While interested in being undefeated. in the bracket. Undefeated, exactly. Yeah. Let's leave Go undefeated. Out on a good note. But I yep. got the same thing, and I know all of you guys did too. That people were just saying, like all through this, were saying such nice things. There were times where I, I was like really choked up, like long before we got to this point, because people are really sincere. I don't know. I think we've done a good job of trying to engage everybody that reaches out to us. You know, sometimes we don't see all the tweets and sometimes we miss emails and things like that. But we really try to say something to the folks that take the time to, to listen to us and reach out. And we got I know we want to talk about the stickers. Yeah. Do you can talk about that? But, um, you know, we asked people to you know email us and it was at the first 100. The first 100 or, yeah. people. Yeah. Well, um, we have thousands of emails. <laughs> Yeah, there's about a thousand emails. I had to and stop the forward function on the yeah, email. Yeah, well, then they all went to me uh, directly. <laughs> so I have the ones you didn't get. And I swear I will get to all of them and read them all and respond, even if it's just a little note uh, of appreciation that you took the time to do that for us. We're going to take the time to do that for you. But I just kind of glanced through some of them, and we had listeners emailing us from Brazil and from China. Croatia. Croatia. Uh, wow. Scotland and the UK. <laughs> New Zealand. New Zealand and Africa, Australia got some Italy, Australia. the whole. The I didn't whole see thing. those. Really? Oh, we have so much foreign a- posters. Antelope, we need to pay Oregon. For. Oh, I wish. I <laughs> no, wish. Not antelope. <laughs> we're going to be paying for a lot of international. Kuna, yeah. India. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was really great, and we just um, thank you for sustaining us. Yeah, and thank you to Kevin yeah. Goldberg for. Thank um, you. Putting together a winnable contest. A winnable contest. <laughs> this is Best one we cons. can hack. We don't need Russians. We can do it ourselves. Anyway, but I'm just going to lean in, as uh, Cheryl Sandberg would say, and just say, 
we are obviously the best podcast in exactly. the world. Let's right? Not, We're the champions. We are. <laughs> All right. Well, um, speaking of engaging with our listeners, I want to thank everybody who joined uh, Patreon this week. Last week, we announced that uh, if you join Patreon, you will be getting some more Toby time. Because Toby is going to be uh, making some additional content for our Patreon, including Toby. Want to tell everyone what we're going to be doing tomorrow for our Patreon listeners. Tomorrow, we are going to be recording the first as yet unnamed, although there's like a zillion suggestions, <laughs> book discussion podcast. Yep. And it's going to be on uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. It's a book club. It's a book club. It's the Balls Deep Should Book Club. Should I tell club. them who the guests are? Because that's my favorite name so far that our listener suggested is the Balls Deep Book Club. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't want to have to explain that to my daughter. It's exciting. It's you and me and two other people. Yep. Who are those two other people, Toby? It's Patrick Hines from True Crime Obsessed mm-hmm. and Rabia Chaudhry from everything. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So we're taping that tomorrow and we're going to upload it to our newly created Crime Writers Extras mm-hmm. podcast feed and Patreon subscribers. I think it's like the $5 level or whatever. We'll get a ton yep. of extra content that we're going to be making. So it's very exciting. I'm excited to have the conversation. And um, I just want to say, as we're talking about subscriptions, for our Stitcher Premium listeners, Kevin and I last night taped an episode of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, which for our Stitcher Premium listeners, if you subscribe at stitcherpremium.com slash crime, use the promo code crime, you can listen to the ad-free week early version of what we taped last night. Kevin, you just want to tease it because it was uh, it was, oh, it was yeah. legendary. We had our new friend Kimberly from Date with Dateline, <laughs> and we were talking about this most recent episode of SVU where the big twist at the end was that the guy – who ran off with the 16-year-old girl, was actually, and he didn't know it, was actually her father. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, everybody responded like that. Everyone in America simultaneously vomited. It was like, what the actual fuck? (laughs) (laughs) What's that disorder Uh, called? Genetic sexual attraction. It's a real thing. And we had the amazing. Wait, <laughs> Toby wants to hear more. Explain oh, this. Boy. Ge- genetic sexual attraction. Yes, it's Toby, a real it's a disorder. Like what they call incest. Well, it no. It's what happens when. Wait, when a child. You try to explain okay. this with a straight face. I'm going to look at it you. It happens when <clears throat> a child uh, meets his or her parent as an adult. And they haven't grown. They haven't grown up together. They've never met before. Never met before. And or siblings meet. As adults, never met before. I guess, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it ha- it happens, that, but is it? Yeah, it is incest. It's just, but they don't know it's incest. They don't know it's incest. Well, have an well, I think a lot of in real life, a lot of people know it's incest. Yes, but it's not. But in in well, SVU in the real world, life case that that crazy episode of SVU. How about we let our no? Yeah, I know. How about we let Wait, people how, listen? Let me just tell you often... something, Toby. I would love like this. I know you don't watch Law and Order SVU. I know you don't. This yes. week's episode of Law and Order SVU was so fucking bananas. Like, because the entire, usually there's like twists and turns all through. This was a super linear episode. And then in the last five minutes, there were like 17 <laughs> plot twists. The ultimate one w- of which was not only is she your daughter, but that's who you've been sleeping, sleeping with. with. I we had an affair oh. 17 years ago. Oh, they ago. were sleeping together? Do the oh, math. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they he was also her, her music teacher. It starts off with a girl. It starts off with a girl disappearing after last being seen by a guy wearing a clown mask, who during the daytime is a butcher. 
And the night that she disappeared and the necklace was found in the trunk of his car, he was dragging away a black duffel bag filled with what? He says... Hundreds of pounds of expired meat to sell <laughs> to a restaurant illegally. But I swear it wasn't a body. Yeah. And that's not the fucking crazy part. No, that's not the crazy part. How like how common is it for people to run into their biological parents without knowing who they are? Oh, super common, Toby. Well, no, I'm just kidding. And, and then how do they find out afterwards? I don't know I don't know of cases where they're like they didn't know that it was mom or dad apparently but, uh, but, it happens the thing yeah this was the the, the real like life case Oedipus. is a yeah it, it's like somebody who reach out looking for their biological parents after be given up for adoption toby you just said it's and like when Oedipus? they get together well you can't have oedipus without us, us. <laughs> <laughs> sorry i know it's a horrible oh joke. my god <laughs> all right i think <laughs> anyway so anyway we're the best podcast we're the best podcast <laughs> in the world yeah. and you should subscribe to our sister premium channel sisterpremium.com slash crime Use the promo code CRIME for a free month so that you can check out us talking with Kimberly from Date with Dateline, who is hilarious, mm-hmm. uh, talking about this week's fucking crazy episode yeah. of SVU. That'll be out next week. Next <laughs> Even wow. if you cancel your subscription immediately and never pay for the paid month and just take the free month, I kind of think this week's uh, These Are Their Stories podcast is worth it. I Just my opinion. Anyway, Kevin, uh, can you please read this for me, please? True Crime Podcast Update. Big news, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked a couple months ago about the fact that Dirty John the Podcast was going to be turned into a scripted series by Bravo based on the story in the Dirty John Podcast, of course, in which we heard our friend Deborah. Uh, Kevin likes to call her Stupid Deborah, but that's no, not what I the don't podcast like to call is her about. No, you say Everybody it's not. Everybody calls her Stupid Deborah. It's Deborah. not Stupid Deborah, it's Dirty John. It's Dirty John. They're turning it into a scripted series, and we learned this week that the amazing Connie Britton is going to be starring as Deborah. <laughs> AKA Stupid Deborah. Yeah, uh, Kevin, thoughts? I think Connie Britton's great. I've loved Does she her. She elevate since... it. She elevates it. Yeah, she's <laughs> legit. I know that Bravo has a green lit, green lighted, green lit, uh, green lit, uh, green lighted. This uh, there's an anthology series uh, which is yet unnamed. This is the first season is going to be the Dirty John story. Yeah. And the the second season will be a, another true. The Crime Writers on season. <laughs> <laughs> Starring Connie Britton as me. <laughs> and Gilbert Godfrey as me. We've already done this casting thing. We can't go That's through true. it again. Maybe like super good. Like maybe oh, it'll yeah. be like a whole different like twist. It'll be good. I mean, I, I just don't think we should. I mean, maybe it'll be super good, guys. Okay. All right. All well, right. yeah. We'll let we'll you say. know. Well, Connie Britton, yeah. I think, has elevated the project, though, right? Okay. Yeah, I mean, she's a big-time name. She's yeah. a big-time name that people, like, love. They uh-huh. love Connie Britton. Well, you just tell me who Dirty John's going to be, and then I'll tell you. <gasps> oh, uh, who would you pick to be Dirty John? Uh, Toby Ball. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's good-looking. We're in talks. We're in talks. It's actually a good question, because now that we've seen what John looked like. He was a good-looking Knowing guy. now that Connie Britton is Deborah. Jake Gyllenhaal. No, no, um, no. It's gonna be like a TV person. Uh huh. It's gonna be like a soap opera Ooh, star. Oh, McSteamy, the guy who played McSteamy on uh, Oh yeah, Grey's he Anatomy. could do it. He could totally do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It could be him. Scrubs. Mm-hmm. All right. Scrubs. Moving on, uh, Kevin, can you please read this for me, please? TV news update. All right. It's a little bit outside of our wheelhouse, but this week, one of my all-time favorite TV news stories of all time aired and um i just want to talk about it just to set it up this is from a tv station in albuquerque new mexico and this to me is a case in which 
a reporter was perhaps sent on an assignment where he realized, in Kevin's words, at some point during the day, there was no there there, and then went for it anyway, in a big way. So I'm just going to play that for you, and then I want to talk about it after we hear the tape and get your guys' reactions. When new images of Central Avenue showed up online today, so too appeared the bear behind of a prankster on the edge of UNM's campus. Our Caleb James got to the My hero. bottom of this. Caleb? You know... I really didn't learn much of anything today, but I wanted to stick that one last butt pun in your toss for you. It's still a funny picture, though, and uh, thankfully my friend alerted me to it this morning because by afternoon, Google had wiped it clean. Wiped it clean. My God. These brand new images of Central harken back to a sunny day, wispy clouds, blue skies, green trees, a couple of folks flipping off the Google car, and a man fully exposing his butt to the camera. It really was a beautiful day. When KOB first discovered the full moon on Monday morning, it appeared Google's facial blurring routine had possibly caught the two bird flippers but it somehow entirely missed Seymour Butts over here. We added our own blur out of courtesy to you and our friends at the FCC. You know, it really isn't until you come here to the scene that you really get a firm grasp on the fact that our mooner was equal parts opportunist and quick thinker. Based on our reconstruction, it's likely he relied on that distraction caused by those middle finger flingers over here before walking over resting his bag right here on this ledge, resourceful, before bending over, dropping trowel to deliver that <laughs> midday moon. A moon that glimmered for just a moment in time. <laughs> Hours after spotting it, Google buffed that butt right out of the frame. <laughs> and we, of course, reached out to Google today uh, to ask them about all this. We left a message on a media hotline. We also sent an email to a media inquiries email address. We haven't heard back, but what are they going to say, you know? So we'll tell you if they get back to us. For now, we're reporting at Harvard and Central on UNM's campus. I'm Caleb James, KOB, Eyewitness News 4. Yeah, give Caleb James all of the Emmys because he clearly was sent out on assignment and at some point during the day realized there was nothing and was told, you have to fill four minutes, <laughs> do something. Uh, Toby, uh, when you worked at the Congressional Quarterly, um, did you ever have a bum assignment that you had to just fill out with uh, butt puns and reenactments <laughs> of moonings on a, a main thoroughfare in Washington, D.C.? He, he was a crack reporter. <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, no. <laughs> but, Toby, isn't it refreshing to see a TV reporter just, like, doing exactly what you would do if you got, like, a shitty assignment and were told, like, right. you have to do journalism today? I could see where it would have been very satisfying, not only to him, <laughs> but to uh, a lot of his colleagues <laughs> who probably wish they had done it. <laughs> Uh, Kevin, when you were a TV reporter, did you ever have a situation like that where oh, you were sent time. on something? Oh, but I love doing it. Yeah. so you, I loved it. Do you think that Caleb enjoyed this? I think he did. I'm jealous. I wanted someone to assign me that, too. <laughs> I would have loved I don't think I would have the guts to say the uh, toss. Yes. About the, uh, and the dropping trowel. No, the dropping trowel is fine. And it's the like finger flingers. Google wiped it clean. Yes. It just- uh, The writing is so good. Hey, as long as he didn't get into trouble, I'm like, good for you, man. <laughs> 
Laura, thoughts as a local news, intrepid local news reporter yourself, do you think that Caleb James uh, also deserves all of the Emmys? Yes. I especially loved at the end uh, when he was talking about, you know, how they reached out to Google. He's like, well... They didn't respond. What are they going to say? <laughs> <laughs> it was just so refreshingly yeah. honest. It's true. Yeah. They they know le- there's no there there. <laughs> I, I didn't learn anything today. <laughs> that was good. So, Kevin, uh, you used to be a TV reporter. Like, final thoughts about what Caleb James did there? I think it was. I think it was great. Yeah. I mean, I I really enjoy the the soft news stories and. This is a fun one. And, you know, it's like the kind of thing that shouldn't be on the news at all. No. And he just. And he knows it. And he just went for it. And he, <laughs> and he made it something. And, and I think that's what, you know, great reporters can do. They can they can make uh, chicken salad from chicken shit. And Ooh. Yeah, people said that to me. Um, <laughs> coming to go make chicken salad. Uh, and. You know, I just it's it's a funny story about a guy who, you know, wanted attention. And, you know, he could have got attention if he just set up his own website through Squarespace. <laughs> got plenty of attention. Because with beautiful templates created by world-class designers, you almost spit your wine out. I did. did I get you? You did. I got you. I didn't know that was coming. With beautiful templates created by world-class designer Squarespace, makes it easy to turn your idea into a new and unique website. Showcase your work, blog, or publish content, even sell products and services of all kinds in just a few clicks. And uh, it's so great because there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. We have all of our websites are Squarespace websites. Crime Writers On. Every single one of them. Our author, Kevin Flynn, and uh, the These Are the Stories podcast. That's at Law and Order Pod. And I tell you, I wanted to do a, a refresh it. And basically, I used it, just picked a different template. Yep. And it went right in and uh, it just like rearranged everything in a great way. Let me tell you, Kevin, my day job, I'm the digital director of a news station, like a, a widely respected national award winning news outlet. Mm-hmm. Whenever we need to make a microsite for a project, Squarespace. (laughs) It's the best. Whether you know a lot or a little about coding, programming, like you can know nothing and make a beautiful website. But if you know a little, you could make it extraordinary. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. You just go around, mess around, make a website or two when you're ready to launch it. Just use offer code CWO to save 10% on your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code CWO. CWO. What else you got, Kevin? Well, the RX bar is the whole food protein bar made with a few simple, clean ingredients, all which serve a purpose and in the interest of full transparency. All of those core ingredients are labeled right on the front of the package. No BS at all. It's a really great thing to take for breakfast on the go, snack at the office, to throw in your bag for a bike ride. Anytime you're going out, Rebecca, I know that you keep uh, some- keep my desk and my drawer at work. And, and Laura, you're a big fan of the RX bar too, right? I am a big fan of the RX bar. And I'm going to tell you one thing I love, it has dates in it. And for anyone who's tried to make things like this on their own, dates are the biggest pain in the butt to try to work with. So I appreciate that they have done all the hard work and I, it's delicious and, uh, you know, it's it's good for you. Yeah, whether you like sweet or savory chocolate or fruit flavors, there is an RX bar for you. So for 25% off your first order, visit rxbar.com slash crime. Crime. And enter promo code crime, crime. at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash crime, promo code crime, for 25% off your first order. Well, moving on, Netflix is out with Wild Wild Country, a documentary about the times, town, and troubles created by a group of Rajneeshi followers who flocked to Oregon in the early 1980s. 
I'm here in one of the largest ranches in the Northwest. Today, it's Rajneesh Purim, because a prominent Indian guru and his followers bought it. Our vision was to create a community based on compassion and sharing. Bhagwan's agenda was simply to raise the consciousness of humanity. That was his goal. America was land of promise. It was my conviction we will have no problems. I don't think America has a place for these people. The followers of Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh created their own city with airport founded on peace and free love. But their efforts to protect their community from locals and the government eventually turned violent. Sort of. In talking about Wild Wild Country, we're going to be discussing some spoilers. So if you'd rather hear our review without the discussion, just look at the show notes for the timestamp to which you can skip to get our thumbs up or thumbs down on Wild Wild Country. And if you want to hear us talk about it because you've watched it, here we go. All right. Sort of? I just want to couch it a little bit because a big thing has come up. People are watching this documentary like the uh, Rajneeshis. Are they a violent, scary cult or are they a bunch of free loving, yoga loving weirdos who like to get naked and just wanted to make a city out of a ranch in Oregon? And also firebombed uh, city officials, try to poison after they were attacked. Yeah. Kevin, hold on. Laura, thoughts. Oh, oh, that makes it fine. Thoughts, Laura? Thoughts. I'm not defending it. You are. So I'm a little conflicted on this because, you know, I'm watching this. And there seems to be, even in the end, like goodness in the people that were involved and wanting to help others and wanting like the one woman who was, you know, the the leader, the general. Now she's got like her own. She Yeah, she's got her own little commune for old people with dementia. So it's hard to say. I feel like I don't really have the full story, even after six hours of this, to really make a determination on that. Right. So something happens, Kevin, and I know that I'm breaking format. But usually we start this conversation with like, let's talk about the structure. Let's talk about Mm -hmm. the characters. I got a note today because, you know, Toby and Laura send their notes. Mm -hmm. And then I use that to sort of, you know, inform what we're going to be talking about. Right. Toby sent me a note today that blew my goddamn mind. Yeah. Toby, <laughs> I think that I know you know which note it is. Do you want to just go ahead and, and tell everyone what I'm talking about? So back in like 1992, maybe, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, went to uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. And we ended up staying at a place called the Osho Oasis, mm. which was in uh, Tulum, <laughs> this little sleepy <laughs> town with... Uh, Mayan ruins that are right on the ocean. It's really mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I hadn't really thought about it a whole lot. Like there was a meditation place and there's definitely <laughs> like some like, like balding guys with <laughs> ponytails and stuff like that walking around, going to meditate. Uh, but there's also like just travelers and tourists uh, such as ourselves. While I was watching this, I've read about the stuff that went on in Oregon, but I hadn't realized that he changed his name to Osho. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh my God, was this a Rajneeshi place? And <laughs> what it turns out is that kind of in that the woman who started it had gone to uh, Pune, the Pune ashram after um, Rajneesh had, had uh, the Bhagwan had gone back to, had been sort of forced back to India. And then when he died, she left her husband, she says in her little write up and uh, wanted to have a place that kind of recreated the vibe of the mm. ashram. So she 
to like open this thing. And it was like these little cabanas. I mean, they're not even really cabanas. They're like these huts on the beach with like mm. thatched roofs, hanging beds so that yep. lizards couldn't get in them and stuff. So it was a really, it was, it was a cool and very beautiful place. And I did not know at the time the little line you could draw to yep. the food poisoners of Oregon. <laughs> right. Well, there's the thing. Toby, I know that you knew about this story. I feel like an idiot because watching this whole documentary, we see footage from Oprah, mm-hmm. we see footage from you know, the World News Tonight, yep. every major news program like really covered this, you know, this um, quote unquote invasion of this quote unquote cult, which there are reasons why I'm putting them in quotes, which we'll talk about, but like this was a huge news story in America that I know I was only a little kid when it happened, but like. I've never heard. This is not. It's like been Jonestown. it's been forgotten and underreported in the in the years since. Yeah, Kevin, what did you think when you started hearing the details of the scope, the scale, the fact I, I that knew they some literally... of the I knew some of the you know the plot lines. Mm-hmm. I remember the the salad bar poisoning. I didn't remember a lot of, of the rest of it. Uh, you know, they built an entire city with an airport and no, that was three crazy. Years? I did not know that. I tell you, there's there's a lot of like really interesting, compelling stuff in this, and maybe we'll talk about this later. But I think it really just skimmed over a lot of important questions, yes. which left yes. me like, how do they finance all this, and what exactly yes. are their beliefs? Right. And yep. really, you're just going to let Sheila say they weren't violent when she, you know, plotted the murder of Bogwan's doctor and they had a lab and created biological weapons listen don't roll your eyes rebecca that oh i'm not saying she wasn't violent i'm just saying she's also kind of badass and i found myself yes. because of the lack of that all right let's just let's just i feel like we're just getting into discussion without any context See, well that's kind of like the series that <laughs> we just watched series, though, isn't it so let me take up like a big step back right all right we are thrown into a story and, when, and dare i say it is a sex cult. We were thrust into a story. <laughs> and just given yes. a tremendous amount of information from, by the way, the principal players in the story. You have the main, like, it's like having David Miscavige talk about the Scientologist. You have Sheila, who was like the first lieutenant of this alleged cult, giving like her first person narrative. And she's not mm-hmm. disputing any of the facts of what happened. And then yeah. you have the actual townspeople who were like delightful, but also kind of xenophobic, like telling their account of what happened. Mm-hmm. You've all oh, yeah, they're the, the weird ones, Rebecca. No, you, but you have all the principles, right? <laughs> yeah. So all the elements are there. You're like, holy shit, we have the U.S. attorney. We have all the Oregon people. We have the state's attorneys. We have like the actual cult people. I still can't figure out like what's the yeah. harm? Like what was this cult doing that would made it a cult? Laura, you, you kind of yeah. sound like you agree with me. Yeah, I mean, that was what I, I kept waiting. And I'm like, did I miss something? And I'm like, no, I was paying attention. I, I guess I, you know, in the beginning, you know, we're watching it and it seems it seems very idyllic. They just wanted to go. They, they were like happy hippies. They, they just want to go out and live in the countryside and have sex with everybody and, you know, live in harmony. I'm like, huh, I guess I just didn't really see what the issue was. And, and it seemed more like the locals were like, Something fun is going on out there. Like, you know, like, whoa, some weird weird stuff's happening. Like they're driving through town in their Rolls Royce. And and I'm like, so it's it's weird. It's it's definitely, you know, there's what, fifty people living in this town and they're all like farmers and ranchers with their lassos and everything. So I think that this this documentary left out 
some key parts as to why these issues started. And I don't understand why. I mean, you just have to go on Wikipedia and pull it up. And it's like right there at the top that it was is it related to trying to skirt around local zoning ordinances. Right, right. But what do they believe? I didn't really know what they believed. I didn't know. I'm like, OK, so this guy just like came here from India. Like, who who is he? <laughs> like, why are they following him from? <laughs> and, and, and are they doing that thing where they're alienating people from their families? Are they doing that thing yeah. that cults do where like people are scared to leave? It didn't seem like anyone was, well, from what we are presented, all we know is what we were presented, right? right? And what's your impression of just, okay, so we we got a really interesting question on our Facebook Mm -hmm. group from Katie, who I happen to know from when I was a kid, who says like, what is the harm, basically, as I'm paraphrasing, what's the harm about like wanting to live in a commune with people who think like you? Where does that turn into a cult? Because I don't think we're shown the stuff that makes this like a quote, cult because what we know about cults is yeah. they isolate you from your family and friends right. they take everything that you own like right. and and then you get into a point so where check like, check but how are they isolating from your family and it seems like people could come and go as they please uh, they could but yeah. they are encouraged to leave home and come live in Oregon with the and only, wear, and only wear red. And only wear red. Okay, you starting to like see <laughs> no, the, I, I still not. the folly still of not. your logic. But they've they've got ashrams all over the world, right? You know, it, mm-hmm. like that was that was the big city. But they show that map where there's ashrams. I'm sorry. What was the question? Thoughts, <laughs> thoughts about Rajneeshis. Like when you, when you compare them to cults that we consider like dangerous cults, like Jonestown. When you compare them to the Scientologists. When you compare them to cults that we like objectively know. I'm sorry. You know you don't believe the word objective is being correctly used here, Kevin. But like the cults we know are like legit dangerous, where people are harmed, people die. Not talking about the actual acts that Sheila may or may not have instigated. <laughs> yeah. Um, Let's just. Not look at those. The, the culty scariness. Don't you feel like this documentary like didn't make a case for for that? No, it definitely did. I think. I mean, really? I my my feeling is uh, there's a few things, but one of them is how weaponized they were. Every like film has got guys with automatic weapons, so that would give me pause. I, I think it's a little more complicated. I mean, they kind of hint at it a little bit. When they talk about like the original ashram in in Pune, India, which still exists, which you can still go to still for exists. two thousand dollars a month, stay. Yeah, <laughs> Laura and I were like tripadvisoring it today. <laughs> I looked it up. Yeah, <laughs> crime writers on. <laughs> but it sounds like, and they just kind of hint at this a little bit. But it sounds like it's a place where things were going on, like and and more Western things. Uh, like some of the the therapies that were were being come up, like um, I think they they talk about the human potential movement, but also like gestalt therapy and things like that. And so it wasn't just that everybody; it wasn't like David Koresh or or, or Jim Jones, where everybody was kind of buying into this one religious line, but that he was he had sort of created a place where people could come and sort of indulge in these sort of radical ways of thinking about the way you are mm-hmm. as a person. It, it sounded a lot like Esalen, which is a place in uh, California that during like, I guess the late sixties and then into the seventies was sort of where radical therapeutic type things were sort of tried out and, and talked about. And the people lived in this very new agey way to the point where I did a little research and the guy who had founded Esalen actually went over to uh, the ashram in uh, Pune to to check it out because he thought it'd be a very strong spiritual experience. And he left because he felt like 
some of the stuff that was going on there was too violent, hmm. which I think is what they, they kind of show in the... In the movie, in, in the, the movie? The movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My thought was that that wasn't so much something that the Bhagwan was promoting, more that he kind of let that happen. And that was sort of, at least some of the therapies were very sort of confrontational, you know, and, yeah. it, and it was like sort of being very raw and sometimes physical to a degree. And he felt like that, like at least some group of these people had gone too far in mm. that direction. Kevin? So, Rebecca, let me ask you a question. Who bombed the Hotel Rajneesh? Uh, some of the or- disgruntled Oregon people. No, it was an Islamic militant group, and people were arrested and went to jail. Yeah. But watching this thing, yep. what are you left to believe? That it's some Oregonians, disgruntled Oregonians. And then that caused what? At Them to mi- arm themselves. To militarize, right? Right, right. So I think that that is a... Huge omission. Yeah. They certainly weren't arming against a, a possible retaliation from Muslim extremists. Right. They were looking at the U.S. government and the other people. And well, I think it's I think it was a, a big I, that was pretty misleading. OK, so before we get to that story mm-hmm. point, which I really want to talk about, Kevin, there was more archive footage in this than in like anything else oh, yeah. ever watched from the period. There were 300 hours Why of video. Why were they video. filming everything they did all the time? They were home movies. Yeah. Uh, but it but also they also saw... had like, professional camera people there. Yeah. Well, that yeah. Was, that's part <laughs> of, and uh, Toby, I think, is more of the the expert on w- what this uh, cult was up to. But They thought they, they were changing did... the world and they wanted to document it. I mean, that's yes. what it felt to me. Yes. Right. And every night they would watch videos of the Bhagwan mm-hmm. talking about whatever. So, yeah, they were definitely documenting a lot of what was going on. They certainly didn't feel like they were ashamed of anything. It wasn't a closed compound because you see the, the local TV people hanging out there oh, all the time. Out, yeah. You know, they had a press person and whatnot. So, so yeah, they just have this really great treasure trove you know, it's like almost impossible not to make a, a documentary when you can see every single historical point playing out in real time. Right. Now, Laura, every time they said something in this show, they then showed video of it. It's like literally, mm-hmm. like every time. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And this is like a group of like thousands of just regular people, mostly Western people. Uh, who, we never really got a sense of how big. Well, we do know that they went to this place in Oregon, This uh-huh. uh, the muddy Big Muddy Ranch. Big Muddy Ranch that was like, uh, you know, 100 square miles. And literally in under th- three years, and we see video of it, like people built hundreds of housing units. They built an airport, like a literal airport that jets could land on, not like a podunk New Hampshire airport, but like a literal airport. And uh, that, that huge hall that held 10,000 people in like a short period of time. It was incredible. Like mm-hmm. the, the footage of them doing it, like they showed them trans- the farmlands and they the land reclamation was amazing. They land, and I want to know more about how did you pull that off? Yeah, how did you have contractors and and architects? And ar- well, but the architects were. I mean, a lot of the people who were sort of the brains behind it were Rajneeshis. Right, is Rajneeshi architects, and it was Rajneeshi lawyers, and right. it was. You know, they had the people within the the movement. You know, we you know how I. Have- I love our listeners. I don't know how many of them right now would be able to step up and say, "Yes, I can excavate this entire mountain and build you a, a lake." Listen, these were. I mean, I, you know how I talk about sometimes, and I have this thing about like disgruntled boomers, like, mm-hmm. or like selfish boomers, narcissistic boomers. Mm-hmm. These are the people. These are like the boomers. These were all like those people who like the the lawyer guy who's like the main like pro Rajneeshi voice in the thing who's still like super sentimental about it. 
is exactly what we're talking about. He put all of his lawyerly skills. He had been like a high powered partner in like a high powered law firm. Mm-hmm. He gave it all up and put all of his lawyerly skills to work with beads around his neck toward fighting the man on behalf of this cult. And he was just a lawyer. And like, but they had like thousands of people. It was really incredible. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about Sheila because she is sort of the main character of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. I don't want to ask the question. I'm just going to say it and then I'll let you guys like, give your own thoughts. It's very difficult for me, even though the documentary lays out from the very beginning that Sheila is like the Goebbels of this enterprise. Like she's like the lieutenant who like mm-hmm. does all the bad things, orders all the things. It's very difficult for me to not like her. And it's very difficult for me to not admire her in some way. I find her incredibly compelling, really powerful, really interesting, the most attached in some ways of any of these people talking in the thing, like objectively about what's happening. I kind of love Sheila and I feel bad about it. Laura, your thoughts on Sheila? I go back and forth on her. You know, she's definitely feisty, but she was also feisty slash confrontational whenever something was going on. Instead of it seemed like trying to work with the local government and the people in the area where they moved, it's like she was always got her, you know, hackles up ready to fight them. It made me wonder why she was coming into it from that angle. But, you know, the fact that she went through everything she did and then basically got sold down the river and she's the one who ended up doing jail time. But she bounced back. She seems to be like she's like Teflon woman. Like she just it doesn't all this stuff happens and it doesn't seem to face her. It was just fascinating. And, um, you know, fascinating to see the women that were following her around and that were like, I can't remember what she called them, like her little group of women, some of them who fled with her when she went to the island off the coast of Germany. It was it was very interesting. I think the thing that turned me about her was in the end when one of the police investigators was talking about interviewing her and how forthcoming she was, but also that she just seemed to lack normal empathy Mm. for others and had no sort of regrets or anything about, you know, any harm that had come to people. And that part, you know, kind of went against everything that the Rajneeshi was supposed to be about in terms of like loving everybody and being all happy and, every, you know, kind of being this utopian society um, seemed kind of odd to me. Or does that jive with the old woman who is helping senior citizens in hospice that we see? No. And it, that's the thing is like she's she's really an enigma, um, yeah. you know, and when you, you know, when you see her you know, in the end and you see what she's doing now and she doesn't want these these old people with dementia and schizophrenia to be forgotten or left out or mistreated. And she's she's got like her own little commune going on. So, you know, I don't know if that was the police officer saying that about her lacking empathy was just his way to justify what they were doing. But um, she's she's a very out of all the characters. She's the one I just could not figure out. What do you think, Toby? What are your thoughts about Sheila? I kind of agree with Laura that the, the thing that stuck out to me about most about when people talked about her was the thing about lacking empathy. And, you know, when you hear her talk about the days in Oregon, there is no point at which she seems to be able to put herself in the position of the people that oppose her and doesn't seem to have any consideration for the fact that in this tiny little town of Antelope, suddenly having hundreds and hundreds of hippies like having sex all over the place and dressed up in weird clothes and and all this stuff would be disorienting at the least. You know, I think part of the thing with the documentary is that you definitely, 
like she's your access point to the community. Like if you'd had a different access point to the community and it was more about sort of the day-to-day life of like normal people there, I think it would have been a very different program. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for her, it seemed like her one thing was to establish and then defend the community. Well, one of the things that's most interesting to me about Wild Wild Country is that we're introduced to all these like adorable town folk, right? You have the guy, the rancher, who just so happens to be the son of the guy who invented Nike sneakers, the billionaire. (laughs) Right. Uh, You have the adorable ranch-owning couple sitting on a leather couch together. You have that other town's guy. The goofy mayor? The guy who looks like Ernie from Sesame Street but with the overalls on. Yeah, the mustache. Yeah, and and so you're getting all of these like two ways. You have the the former mayor, the woman who was mayor when all this happened, and you're getting all of these um, conversations with them. And initially in the documentary, you think like, yeah, like they were just living here. It's mostly a retirement community. And then the this group of like thousands of people like move in next door, literally next door. And they start doing all this stuff with land that's polluting their ranches and like changing their basic quiet lifestyle. All of a sudden there's cars going through town. There are all these people. And they have this sort of like NIMBY reaction. I think the documentary is at its most interesting when the same people that we initially come to sympathize with and empathize with, like what if this happened in our town, get a little bit xenophobic and we see tons of archive tape that have straight up xenophobic language where people are on the, the daily news programs going like these people and their weird beliefs and their weird clothes coming into our town. And then we see in Oregon, you know, they have a plan. Their plan is to bring a lot of people in, register them to vote, to be able to change the opinion and, and, the, and the sort of government where they want to be. Or take control. Of the which government. is, yeah. by the way. I'm sorry. That's their democratic right. The same way it is when there's a college in a town and all the students come in and they want to vote when they live on campus and they do voter suppression stuff against the Rajneeshis and they do all this like weird xenophobic outsider stuff. Like that's the point for me where, you know, despite what happens later with the poisoning and all that stuff, like I kind of come to understand where the rebellion comes into play because they really Wait, are just who's rebellion? The Rajneeshi rebellion. Because don't you think that they're weaponizing themselves and the and all that stuff is about them saying, like, screw you guys, we just wanted to come here and do this and you literally like waged war well, I, against us with well, democracy? I think Toby just said it. You know, it's like you uh you live to protect the hive. Right. And but that's so what they, they ha- felt threatened. But so weren't the townspeople the same exact way? They felt threatened. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not saying that, yeah. that like it would be not weird to have like a million people move into your tiny town and take over the cafe and buy all the land and whatever, but mm-hmm. like the words they used at the time, not the present day people telling the story now. When you see those same people well, their language is different because they're relaxed because they won. Yeah, their they language don't feel is the also same different sense of because anxiety. of what you can say at the time. And it comes off as really kind of like racist, homophobic, xenophobic, at the same, all that same kind of language. Phobic. That's how it sounds. Toby, this reminds me actually of like Invasion of the Body Snatchers, where it's like one of these allegories for... Communism. Uh, communism. Everyone's wearing red. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the the fear that our way of life is being taken over by some other. Yeah, I I, I think that I think that's a good point, and and I think that's that's something that Sheila kind of diagnosed and then 
sort of taunted them with. In fairness to the people that are coming across as as racist, and and they are, I mean, it, they picked a bad place to try to go set up a commune out in like rural, remote Oregon, where I mean, honestly. You've got a bunch of old retirees who have a very limited window of experience in terms of like what their world has been. So do I think it's right? No. But in fairness to them, I can see how this was overwhelming and scary when you're in this little tiny town and all of a sudden here comes the Rolls Royces and all these people. And it's so far out of the realm from anything that they've ever experienced because it doesn't seem like there was a lot going on there. You know, I can I can understand that too, and I, you know, one of the things that I found frustrating about this whole thing was that it made me feel some sympathy for people who are basically have bigoted attitudes, which I do not was was not a good feeling. Right. But I think what is the most objectionable thing about that whole bit is like you can you can see where the townspeople would get upset about the people coming, and then kind of you know, stacking the town council and and doing all this stuff. But what I think the trouble comes is when the state basically picks a side Mm. in that dispute, like law be damned. And it's just like, we're going to protect quote unquote, Oregon. We're not going to allow any new voters to register today. Right. That was upsetting. Yeah. And it's just, regardless of what you think about the Rajneeshis themselves, and I've got kind of mixed feelings, the way that was all handled by the government strikes me as a bullshit, but B also sort of a dangerous precedent. You know, it's, it's basically repressing a minority religion that people find weird. Right. And also a minority people, because one of the things that the Rajneeshis did and it's tactical, it's not like all about being good people. It was a tactical decision was they imported homeless people from all over the United States <laughs> to come live on their commune and they packaged it as we're doing this nice thing. But even Sheila says the goal was to get more registered voters in the states. So they could help like influence politics in the state of the country. By the way, that is all completely legal. And I can make a very strong argument that it should be legal. Like I said, where you live is where you vote. That is how our democracy works. They made this tactical decision. This is happening in New Hampshire now or did a few years ago with the free staters, like all the people deciding to move here to try to influence government. And it isn't the state's place to say, like, no, we're just like not doing voter registration today because we don't want your kind on our voter rolls. Kevin, that was weird, right? Yeah, I I didn't think that they should have done that. As far as <laughs> like we we suspect there's going to be uh, voter registration fraud, right? And yeah, I was like, yeah, well, you know, they actually can do that. I mean, they actually can, you know, bring people, and if it's kind of bad form, it is very provocative, right? And but there's um, nobody like asking the homeless people on Skid Row in L.A. to register for the voter rolls there, like they're like right, all right. <laughs> Right. I don't know. I think you're far too sympathetic to this this cult. I'm not sympathetic. I, I'm really? interested. Yeah, I'm it's interesting. interested. It's, it's, it's a very interesting story. It is. It, it, it really is. But again, I think we said this before, it's a real surface skim of what was going on that left us with a lot of important contextual right. clues that we just didn't get. Right. I really would like to know a little more about the poisoning of people. Right. How did that how did that get carried out? And the drugging Nobody, of the homeless people who lived on that thing. It was that terrible. Went by like that. Yes. I mean it's not supposed to you know, the focus is not like on the crime. It's sort of like on the whole 
you know, the whole lifespan of this community. But this is the one that kind of suffers from all the narration being just people's interviews. Right. Because you can only put in what people say. Right. And if, if you had, say, for example, a narrator or one of those, like, cards that you just read, they could take a deeper dive in some of these other side things. And, like, if nobody's going to yeah. explain how it was financed then we're never going to know, and we don't. Right, and many people pointed this out on our our Facebook discussion group who sent in um, comments, was that there's no, in this documentary, some documentaries work this way, Mm -hmm. but in this documentary, there's no outside voice. There's no reporter. There's no, even like the, the screen text, which they used liberally in that weird font that I could barely read. There's no like facts popping up to ground you. Just locations and and, 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 and give you that perspective. And that does leave you like with where do they get all the money? What do they actually believe in? Were they actually dangerous before their hotel was bombed? Like, what were they planning to do with all those guys? Like, it was it was confounding, right, Laura? The the opportunity that I think they missed, and I was frustrated because I thought we were finally going to get that context. They have this reporter who, from everything I've seen, did probably the most extensive investigative reporting on this whole situation while it was unfolding. I think he even went to India to find out about. And I'm like, why are you not using this guy to give the background and the context and the information? I mean, there was some, but he's somebody that could have been used as the narrator. He's somebody that could have been used to give more information about kind of the bigger context here. Because I there was... I just felt very scattered a lot of the time watching this, like, wait, what's going on? Right. Yeah, because other than the Rajneeshis or the townspeople or the government, a reporter is a guy who necessarily doesn't have any, uh, you know, any dog Skin in the, the fight. Right, right. I will say yeah. the Oregonian very smartly just republished the 20-part series that uh-huh. that reporter did. I'm just okay. going to quickly tell you what some of these parts are. Uh, part one, how the followers of Bhagwan Rajneesh came to Oregon from India. Part two, how a small-town Indian boy became a religious guru. Part this three, is what I want to know. Before coming to Oregon, the Bhagwan built this thing, yada, yada, yada. Um, uh, the real reasons why the Rajneeshis left India for Oregon, tales of smuggling, gold money, and drugs. What? Um, oh, yeah. Part six, between yeah. India and Oregon, the life-or-death melodrama uh, s- surrounding Bhagwan's failing health. Uh, Sheila using family ties to purchase the Oregon land. Like, there's a lot of information. This is a 20-part investigation. The Oregonian has republished it. And, Kevin, I think you should link to this in our show notes today. Because I have a feeling that every question this documentary left us with is probably answered in this 20-part thing that was done in 1982. Well, this discussion was all over the place. Just like the documentary. Yeah. yeah, just like the documentary, which I was like, I, I, I was like at one point, like Ken's like, what are you, because I'm downstairs, I'm going, wait, what? Oh my God, they're having sex. Wait, what's happening? Like that, some of the, the naked sex scenes, I was just like, whoa, like where did that come from? This isn't the guy in me talking, but there was not enough of that. Toby, did, did you think uh, like I did and like some of our listeners did, there was too much scoring, too much music in this documentary? Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about it a ton until my buddy Martin was on Twitter talking about it. And then I couldn't think of anything else. There was, even before he was on, I like paused it at one point and, you know, went to get something to eat. And when I came back, I turned it back on. And one of the things that I, I just, I don't understand why they did this is they would play a song that had singing in it. Mm-hmm. And then somebody would be, you know, talking and there'd be singing in the background. With lyrics, yeah. It was like, bizarre and totally distracting. So when I sat down and started listening to it, I'm like, is somebody playing music somewhere? You know, it just is so 
weird. That yeah. wasn't mixed well. The scoring is yeah. overwhelming. So yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of that, and then there was a lot of sort of signaling how you're supposed to feel about different things. When I, I think you could probably draw your own conclusions. Yeah. What do you think about our Australian friend, the documentary, Toby, the woman who is sort of like, um, she was really, really devoted and she's one of our, she, she, she's one of our main narrators and she's giving us a lot of perspective in terms of how she fell into it and how she fell out of it. Like, what do you think of her? I, I think she was good in that she's the only voice you heard very consistently that had been part of the Rajneeshis who wasn't still, totally still devoted to him. I thought she was good. What I wish they'd had is just some sense of what it was like just to be like a person there who wasn't involved in like the high end decision making or anything like that, but just a person who showed up and did the dancing and did the meditating and the weird you know, sex movies build and stuff. Yeah, because <laughs> my guess is that the vast, vast, vast majority of people are there like doing their Rajneeshi thing. Peace and love. Without any thought about trying to kill people. They're not grinding up beavers in a blender and putting them in the town water supply. <laughs> Nobody was doing that, Rebecca. That was just a rumor. <laughs> Let's yeah. not spread that. I'm not 100% sure Sheila's out because she still had a photo of Bhagwan on the wall on her house in her modern day life after serving a jail sentence after all this. Like It's weird. It's weird, right? The other thing that I... that and this is like a recurring theme with me is people involved in law enforcement, like having weird feelings around people and then like giving that some credence when they think about whether these people are guilty or not. <laughs> <laughs> when the Bhagwan was, was in there and I can't remember, it was one of the U S attorneys said, I talked to the, the woman who was the sketch artist and she said the only time, you know, there was a weird, dark feeling. And he said, the only time I ever felt anything like that was around the Ayatollah Khomeini. It's like, wait, what? What are you talking about? When did you sketch the Ayatollah? <laughs> and there was another one. I can't even, I don't remember the details now where somebody said something similar about Sheila. And I'm like, your intuition is not a good thing to base law on. Right. So anyway. Yeah, well, um, you know what's also not like normal is uh, when I'm dead, uh, covering me with flowers <laughs> and then filming people, setting me on fire. Rebecca, there's going to be a podcast about that. So I weird. Was, that was the, the I, I was like shrieking at that point. I, I, I couldn't even believe I was seeing that for real. There's a lot there. There's a lot there to talk about. Yeah. So um, I feel like we, we have been all over the place. Just like this documentary, Wild Wild Country. <laughs> Let's just do that thing that we do where we go around the horn and tell our listeners thumbs up or thumbs down. Should they watch Wild Wild Country on Netflix? Laura Bricker, high pressure. I'm going to start with you. So here's here's the deal. I'm going to give this a thumbs up. Not because, I mean, the story is very disjointed. I feel like a lot is left out, but I'm going to give it a thumbs up because of all this archival video that they have makes it worth watching. All of the video that they have access to is just amazing. And it's it's probably the most bizarre thing I think we've ever watched for this podcast. It is it's pretty bizarre. Toby Ball, what about you? Uh, I, I give it a thumbs up. I mean, I think it's probably helpful to have done, like, maybe read that Oregonian series before you watch it so you have some context. I mean, the footage is incredible. The whole, the story just brings up so many different things, as you can tell by our conversation. There's definitely some stuff about the documentary that's not great, and I don't know why they made those mistakes. But um, I enjoyed it 
and obviously there's a lot to think about with it. Yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs up too. I kept waiting for something else to happen. And the idea of everything that happened uh, with these people coming to Oregon and this huge story that I never heard about before that turned into one of the biggest legal cases in American history, apparently, it was interesting and it pulled me through. I thought it was overly long. I thought that the whole thing could have been condensed down to a much shorter period of time. I think the scoring was too much and I think we could have used a reliable narrator. However, it's an interesting story. Super interesting uh, protagonist, sort of, that Kevin and I disagree on. We're not just a protagonist telling the story. So I'm going to give it a, a, not a thumbs way up, but a thumbs up. If you like cult stuff, uh, you'll probably like Wild Wild Country on Netflix. Kevin, what about you? Yeah, I'm a thumbs up. Uh, There are some problems with it uh, that it leaves a lot about the situation and about the Rajneeshis left unanswered. I don't think it was even, yeah, it left them unquestioned, actually. I kept, you know watching, hoping that some of that would get cleared up. Not all of it does, but I couldn't stop watching. Right. I had to get through it. I really liked it. And I think most people will like it too. It's a thumbs up. If for nothing else is to see like all of this video that they found from the 1980s. Right. That sort of is is what the wallpaper is of the entire documentary. Of course, I told you they have 300 hours of VHS tapes. Really? Somehow they digitized that, but it would have been a lot easier if they had used Legacy Box. (gasps) Legacy Box! We have Legacy Box upstairs! Yes, Legacy Box is the world's largest, most trusted digitizer of home, movies, and photos. So I took my Legacy Box and I put in a bunch of photos that I had from high school. Mm -hmm. You know, prints, and I'm always like, I'll scan those. I got a scanner. field trip to Paris you took as a kid? Yeah, London and Paris, and it was great. And It wasn't a field trip. It wasn't like you came back it was a school trip. A bu- yes, all right. Uh, but yeah, I had all this stuff, and I think I'm going to digitize it all. And I just never, I don't have a whole day right. to be there for my scanner. Your memories then, aren't that important. Yeah, yeah. Except they but are. But I really want them. I want to <laughs> save them. Right. And I do want to be able to share them online with the folks that I went to high school with. And so Legacy Box did that. The process could not be easier. You just fill the Legacy Box with old home movies and photographs. I have a friend who was on Facebook looking for an adapter for a mini VHS tape. Oh, I used to have a high eight digital camera. What do you do with that now? I have no no idea. You send it to Legacy Box. I have one of those too. (laughs) Where you used to be able to delete the photos, but then it was digital. It was super weird. Yeah, you send it along. They do everything. They digitize your moments onto either a thumb drive, the cloud, or a DVD, whatever you like. There's never been a better time to digitally preserve your old home movies film reels and photos visit legacybox.com to get started plus for a limited time they're offering our listeners a huge exclusive discount go to legacybox.com slash crime to get 40 percent off your first order with this exclusive deal legacy box starts at just 45 bucks so you can save up to 200 dollars on the largest legacy box kit as well so go to legacybox.com slash crime crime to save 40 percent today so it's just a few tapes or digitize your entire collection visit legacybox.com slash crime and enter our code crime to save 40 percent off your legacy box today what else you got kevin i was really impressed with the way they built that town yeah. from the ground up oh god yeah everything outside looked great but you go inside those a-frames and the interior decorating is really bad. They yeah. really could have used Havenly. Oh, yeah, they could have. Although I don't believe Havenly was around in the early, early 1980s. I don't think it was. But it's a wonderful time we live in now. Right. Because you can get Havenly. Their team of designers works with you online to design the living space of your dreams, be it a guest room, a family room, a kitchen, whatever. 
using your budget and your style to shape and design and get the price that you can afford. Rebecca, I remember that you used Havenly. Well, yeah, I, we used Havenly. It gave us some ideas for artwork we could use, and it gave us some ideas for like moving some furniture around and like buying a new like piece or like the piece we put our dishes in. Yeah, that was an idea I got from Havenly. Laura, you also used Havenly. I did. So our dining room, um, I inherited some very formal dining room furniture from my grandmother. And that's not really like our style. We have this kind of rustic house and we're, you know, trying to make it a little less formal. And so I took pictures of my dining room and sent them in to the designers at Havenly. um, and, And they suggested something that I hadn't even thought of. They suggested using these like black and white, you know, kind of architectural drawing style Mm -hmm. pictures on the wall to kind of break up the formal nature of the dining room. They sent me links to all sorts of pictures uh, that they would recommend that kind of fit within that sort of description. And, you know, from there you could choose whichever ones you personally liked, but they selected, you know, like a whole list for you to go look at. And it was, it really worked very well and something I never would have thought of on my own. Right. You can buy what you love directly through Havenly's platform of retailers and guaranteed best prices. Start by taking the free Havenly style quiz. It's a fun way to learn your unique design style and it helps Havenly match you with the perfect designer. So try Havenly today by visiting havenly.com slash crime and get 25% off your design package. That's Havenly, H-A-V-E-N-L-Y dot com slash crime Crime. for 25% off your design package. Havenly dot com slash crime. Crime. All right. Now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the the week. week. It's something the children in Arizona's Mojave Valley look forward to every year. At their annual Easter celebration last week, 30,000 eggs and bucketfuls of candy were dropped from a passing plane. But this year, there may be more in their baskets than they bargained for. Health officials say the plane was a crop duster and the treats may be contaminated. Oh, no. Authorities say the crop duster's tank may not have removed all traces of its herbicide. They later determined the tank had been properly treated but told parents to throw out the eggs and candy just to be safe. Today, no one has reported getting sick from the Easter Bunny biohazard. So question panel, crop dusting Easter eggs... 30,000 Easter eggs. ...is an effective way of ruining the holiday... What's another way you can ruin a holiday? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. First, I when I was uh, covering a local beach that sometimes can get a little seedy, I actually covered an Easter egg hunt that was on the beach where the kids ended up picking up hypodermic needles oh. instead of Easter eggs. Oh, Jesus. So that was unfortunate. Bonus. Um, but uh, in my house, what would ruin a holiday is something that actually happened this year because we got distracted on Christmas overcooking the beef roast. Because mm. oh. you can't go back once you overcook it. and you can't. Uh, yeah. No taking that back. That Not it. even Sheila can be the fixer for that. <laughs> Toby Ball, <laughs> besides contaminated Easter eggs and candy, what is another way you could ruin a holiday? Well, speaking of Sheila, you could ruin it by blending up a bunch of beavers and <laughs> putting them in the eggnog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would be bad. Kevin Flynn, uh, what about you? What is another way besides contaminated eggs dropped from a plane that you could ruin a holiday? X-Lax chocolate bunnies. <laughs> oh, God. It reminds me of my very favorite episode of uh, WKRP in Cincinnati yeah. where they had the um, the turkey drop at mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. Turkey drop, yeah. Yeah, from the helicopter. And uh, awesome. the turkeys just like 
would go straight down and start hitting people, and they were exploding turkeys everywhere. And I remember at the end, the promotions guy came comes in and he goes, God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Laura Berger, before we wrap up our show this evening, do we have a cat of the week this week? We don't have a cat. I'm going to read you what we have. It comes from Dottie Winters, one of our frequent Twitter followers. And she says, ever had a guinea pig of the week? Nope. We rescued Reggie and his brother, Ronnie. When Ronnie died, we were so worried how Reggie would cope. Turns out he is so fucking delighted that he is now the prime suspect in his brother's death. Oh, Dottie. Yeah. I'm on to you, Reggie. Once I'm done with the muskrat, I'm on to Reggie. Yeah. yeah, Dottie Winters is actually one of my favorite uh, followers of this podcast. She's been with us since the beginning. Hey, Dottie. Yes, she's pretty wonderful. All right, Laura Bricker, people want to get in touch with you and submit the animals that live in their houses for Pet of the Week. How can they find you on Twitter? At Lara Bricker. And Toby Ball, if you want to reach out to you and perhaps, I don't know, become a guest on a future book club Toby Time Balls Deep additional content podcast, how can they reach you? I'm at Toby Ball NH. And I'd like to point out that it's another disturbing pet of the week story. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a trend here? <laughs> and Kevin Flynn, if people want to reach out to you, how can they find you online? Right now, I am at Aqua Flynn. That's right. You're actually still at Kevin. I'm P. at Flynn. Kevin P. Flynn, but you say I'm, I'm Aqua Flynn. Can you do the noise I... one more time? And you can find me, the host of the greatest podcast in the world, on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoy. You can also tweet to our show at Crime Writers On, and join the fine folks on the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group, where we are now occasionally broadcasting live video from inside Studio. See or whatever we're calling it these days. It's pretty exciting. Just search for the official Crime Writers on Facebook discussion group on Facebook, or if you're boring, leave a comment on a regular old <laughs> Facebook page. Subscribe now to get exclusive ad-free content from our team at stitcherpremium.com slash crime. If you love the show or any of our other shows, please tell a friend. And if you haven't, leave a review on iTunes. Our theme song was performed by the awesome Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble, and this show was recorded in the for today, named Yoga Loft Above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, but it's really just a closet in our basement where we definitely hang all of our red, orange, and purple cult clothes. <laughs> On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. I didn't learn much today. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody would fart in a studio with someone they loved. Oh, my God. Jesus. I told you I'm not feeling well. Wait, if, if you loved me, would you fart in a closet when I'm sitting right behind you in that closet? <laughs> um, it just makes it sound like I couldn't love it's you abuse. and do the same thing. It's abuse. Hey, I'm smelling this, too. It's a closet, after all. I didn't consent to smell it. Living in crime, crime media. media.
Meet Namely, the all-in-one HR payroll and benefits software employees love to use. Clock in, schedule a vacation, and more from your desk or on the go. Plus, use the social feed to share company news and give shout-outs for a job well done. Over 1,000 companies use Namely every day. Get a free demo by visiting Namely.com slash crime. That's Namely.com slash crime. Build a better workplace with Namely.